Aloha Maui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Burkhardt. Welcome to the Solar Coaster. This is, uh, what, what episode are we on here, Jay? Is it 113? Did I get that right? <laughs> 114. 114. It's 114. So we're uh, we just we just we just keep going, dude. Forget for forget sure. numbers for sure. Okay, okay, that'll be the the end of the uh, <laughs> the end of the number count. Um, but here's a here's a great show ahead. We actually had a chance to speak with this fellow, Bruce Levy, CEO of BMR Energy. Now this is a Virgin-owned uh, company. So uh, Richard Branson's Virgin uh, Corporation or Group purchased uh, BMR Energy. Uh, recently, and, and Bruce uh, reached out to us and, and some of his uh, contacts, Lisa, and wanted to talk about resiliency in building these utility-scale uh, solar, wind, and other types of renewable energy projects. Yeah, and, and uh, that actually turns out to be a really, really hot topic right now, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and of course, everyone, we're, we're kind of just coming in right now after having the experience of the uh, 10,000 acres, I believe, of brush mm-hmm. fire that hit um, uh, the, the central Maui over the last, what, just yesterday. I got myself got caught in that, and uh, that was quite an experience in trying to get between here and Kihei. Uh, so uh, hopefully everyone's safe out there, and I know the uh, firefighters and everyone are doing just tremendous work and keeping everybody uh, safe, and the police officers working super, super hard. It's just uh, really everyone's kind of coming together and, and uh, putting together, uh, you know, doing anything they can to keep us safe. So um, yeah. let's, uh, we do have a great show here and we got some uh, important news and events to cover and all that. So let's jump right in and get to it. What do you say, Jay? Do it, do it. Okay, folks, we are The Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County. We come out Fridays at 105 p.m. on Koi 1110 a.m. Also, some FM stations, 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. Websites, www.solar-coaster.com. That's solar-coaster.com. Uh, you can get all our old shows, 113 of them <laughs> out there. I guess that's the reason why we want to keep the numbers, right? Right. <laughs> um, you, you can listen live if you click uh, on the Listen Live link anywhere in the world. So if you're out of the broadcast area, uh, you can you can still check catch the Solar Coaster. And, of course, we post everything uh, after the fact, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn all carry the uh, solar coaster you can go in and tell your uh, little virtual assistant to play the uh, solar coaster podcast and it should do that for you yeah and uh, i was remiss in posting up those uh, last couple of shows but did so uh, i think about 24 hours ago so the uh, shay and Iquist okay. shows up as well as the lg chem show you guys can check that out um, we are sponsored by some great companies sundrum solar pantech design and lg chem They've uh, all all are out there doing amazing projects in uh, in Hawaii, and we're really proud to have them as supporters of the coaster. So let's jump over to our Pantech Design Minute. Welcome to this week's Pantech Design Minute. Today's focus is the remarkable Lutron Shading System. Pantech Designs Adapt seamlessly integrates the Lutron Shading System to your energy smart home. There are four things to consider when looking at the shading technology. Number one, elegance and ambiance. Lutron controls are designed to look and work beautifully. Stylish control and fabric options coupled with innovative technology elegantly transition a space to create the right amount of light for any activity. Number two, convenience. Managing daylight is not restricted to a single wall station in your home. Shading systems can be controlled using a myriad of controls or set to an astronomic time clock for automatic adjustment of shades. Three, saving energy. Utilize your shading system to save additional energy beyond routine use of shades. Morning warm opens the shades, taking advantage of sunlight and helping to take the chill off your upcountry mornings. Afternoon cool does the opposite by lowering shades and blocking solar heat gain, thereby reducing your cooling costs. Number four, safety and security. Utilize a whole home shading system for simultaneous control of all shades. By setting a predetermined scene for Away, simply select this button when leaving to close all shades and restrict the view inside your home. This has been the Pantech Design Minute. Visit PantechDesign.com to learn more. You know, uh, all of this discussion about emergency preparedness, it all comes into kind of real light when you're facing, you know, um, something like that fire. I got to tell you, you right yeah, away the you fire start. Or the, or the storms that we had last year. Yeah, it's before. it's a really um, unsettling kind of feeling. I mean, it, and on a, for a lot of reasons on a lot of levels, but it's like when it, you know, it's all intellectual until you kind of like see it, smell it, and you're like, oh, something very serious is happening here. And then how well am I prepared? And that's the question you ask yourself in, in that instance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I want to remind everybody that this is a call-in show, at least for the first half here, uh, 242-7800. If you want to uh, talk to, to us or ask a question, you can absolutely call us, 242-7800. That's a call in line. Ready for news and events, Jay? Okay. Right away, um, this website, EcoWatch, you sent me this is really, really interesting kind of conversation. I'd never thought about this before. China's deadly air pollution is also costing billions in solar efficiency is what it says. <laughs> Um, China obviously rolling out a ton of solar. I think that the, the headline here, China leading the way in renewable energies. I don't know about that. Um, but they, they have rolled out a ton of coal and fossil fuel, relatively new plants, but they're, they're not um, doing anything to reduce their, their smog output or, or anything. And study, a new study showed that they could actually increase the yield of solar if they stopped expelling all this particulate into the air uh it's it's literally 12 to 13 percent difference in what they get out of their solar panels versus what we would get out of our solar panels the exact same panel in clear air yeah i find this interesting because um you know you, it doesn't necessarily pop into your mind that pollution would no. affect generation <laughs> and have an additional dollars and cents consequence beyond all of right. the externalities that pollution is costing you know uh society but then to think that okay once you've deployed solar it can almost be used as a rule as a as a way to argue against solar <laughs> i guess you could say well we have too much pollution why bother <laughs> but <laughs> but uh you know it, the, the reality is that it's like it, it it serves as an incentive to further clean up uh the air and i think that i what i understand is that china i used to work in china about i'm gonna say about 10 10 years ago in sourcing, so doing factory sourcing. And yep, I spent yep. a fair bit of time there, and I was amazed by how uh, polluted the atmosphere was, how, how polluted the special economic development zone was, all the coastal areas where all the factories were. It blew my mind. And then since then, I've spoken with some people that work in China, some old friends, and they've said that you wouldn't believe how much it's cleaned up since then. So what they're talking about now is this era, not, you know, like 10 years ago, apparently it was actually worse. Um, and right now, they're, they're saying we're still 12 to 13 percent and billions of dollars being lost. Projects cleaner air would save five to seven billion dollars in, uh, in, in 2030, I guess we would buy 2030, according to CNET. By um, 2030, so, but, but right now, even in 2016, they said they had enough, would have been able to generate enough excess power to power 1.3 million American homes. Now, that's, that's with our consumption rate. Right. Jeez. Uh, yeah, something you might not think about, right? Um, <laughs> so absolutely insane. Um, do we do we need more solar to, to, to offset the coal, or do we need to find some other solution? It's, um, it's a little I, chicken I, or the egg kind of thing, right? <laughs> it's like Yeah, uh, exactly. But, I mean, there's there's so many other benefits from having cleaner air, uh, not to mention the fat, just the health benefits alone. Um, it, it, really, it really needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed quickly. Yeah, I suspect this is just an additional incentive. It's just another way to say, hey, air pollution's costing us all the things that we already know, but now it's costing us in sheer dollars and cents uh, from our energy production. So let's uh, create policy around making sure that it's uh, less and less intrusive and less and less problematic for everyone, more and more controlled. So very good. Um, do you want to take a look at this, uh, the, the, the solar, the, the purifying water technology, Jay? Did you get a chance to dig into that one? I absolutely did. I thought this was fantastic. Um, coming from the uh, King Abdullah University of Science and Technology in Saudi Arabia, um, they've basically taken, and they're, they're very specific, some really generic solar panels. They, they're only about 10% efficient, which means like old panels. Yeah. Um, not, not anything standards almost. To. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, almost. Um, and they built a system underneath that would take the, the they call it waste heat and i don't know if it's waste heat it's just heat that would also be um heat energy hitting the panels and they've allowed that to go down through a mechanism into uh, they used salt water for this system to, to try to purify the water and so it's basically a, a big a big still <laughs> essentially right um so they, they evaporate the um, the salt water um, container contaminated contaminated water uh, that's not potable, uh, drinkable, and then uh, allow it to recondense on the other side. And they, so so the heat from the so the photovoltaic system um, it, it helps <laughs> keep great. keep electricity production. Yeah, it helps keep keep electricity production high, and then because the um, cell remains, generates uh, generates op optimally clean, efficient clean water. 
Yeah, so it's it, and there are better systems where you can get a solar still and actually probably get higher efficiencies, but then you wouldn't be getting this is this is one of those dual use cases which makes it very this, cool. Yeah, uh, because there, you wouldn't get the PV out of a regular solar power a regular solar heat still. You you only get the clean water. Of course, if you only put solar out, you only get the electricity. So combining these two makes it very space efficient. Yeah. And, and they said that by every, by every measurable standard, this, this water is, is perfectly clean and drinkable. It's, it's pretty <laughs> cool because, you know, when I start seeing here, when you think about, of course, we're, we have to think about Sundrum and about some of the other uh, kind of, um, I would say, uh, additional technologies that get connected to solar panels. Where they, there's, there could be a lot of ideas out there yet to be really realized, right? So this is a great example. Yep. If you have, I mean, if you think about it from the perspective of, uh, of Maui, is it crazy to say, hey, we're going to have, uh, what did we say, upwards of hundreds of thousands of solar panels in these next RFPs, which should have just been issued, by the way. It was on the 10th of July, this phase two RFP mm -hmm. from the utility. So that should be uh, issued and out and probably readable. I haven't taken a look at it yet. But if we have, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of PV panels, I mean, is that an opportunity to retrofit those and start to, uh, you know, generate more water? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's... yeah we, have a, we have a water <laughs> issue anyway. Why don't we do this thing? So you get all this new potable water that's pretty exciting right out of the ocean oh my goodness that's awesome dude so that was it on extreme well, it tech could be anything i mean it could be catchment water it could be it doesn't they they said they could do cleaner water easier but they specifically took aim at uh, ocean water because of the, the saline content well it's very it's it's very uh, intensive uh process to to desalinate water right so a very energy intensive right. process so it may turn out that there's some kind of an opportunity here to create a more efficient way to go about doing that that's very cool stuff man I, yeah I like some, someone someone down the bottom is guessing that there's more more efficient panels uh this, the system could eventually generate 10 percent of the world's fresh water no kidding look at that that's that's pretty impressive water is no longer an issue i like that all right cool cool yeah jay uh you're gonna have all to tell right. me what a flexawatt is because i don't even know what that what that means <laughs> This is from Utility okay. Dive. It's a Utility Dive article. We love the Utility Dive guys because they go deep on all things uh, policy. <laughs> um, demand response. Demand response. We don't really have um, demand response in, in Hawaii yet, um, but we do have some, some incentives. And demand response is an incentive to kind of try to get people – to stop using electricity in the, the evenings. We have um, what's called the duck curve. I think if, if anybody who is not aware, um, there's a big uh, um, spike of, of generation in the middle of the day, but there's actually not a lot of consumption. Everybody goes to central locations. We all go to work. We're all working in an office. That one office is what's, what the air conditioning for the one office is powering everybody uh, but then what happens when when three four five o'clock rolls around everybody starts going home and they all turn on their own air conditioners and there's this spike of consumption and then we turn on the TV and we start start watching HD Netflix or whatever else we're doing and there's this spike of consumption and so when you get if you're you're an electric company you are losing Right when you're losing the, the, the renewable energy, the solar and the and, and wind that was really cranking during the day, um, all of a sudden everybody's coming home and turning on all the um, all their their appliances. So, demand response is a system where they 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 incentivize um, you turning it off. They they ask you they, they either tell you you're going to pay a higher price or they ask kind of nicely. Um, or maybe not so nicely um, to to turn off your appliance says when you would want to use them but because they can't support it they can't support it all at once this is a form um, a form of demand response you're saying basically load shedding yeah that's a form a form of demand of demand response um so unfortunately there's really not a lot you can do uh besides make it extremely expensive or uh literally do like a rolling a rolling blackout type of situation where you you, you shut off certain circuits and and force people to 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 shut it down. Um, so demand response has a really um, negative connotation. They have this 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 megawatt <laughs> uh, moniker that they've added, um, trying to, to, to make it an, an, like you're a negative watt, so you would actually get a, a credit. You're really not getting a credit, you're just not paying for it because right. you didn't use it. Um, but this, this flexiwatt thing that they're now trying to rebrand, and I really truly do see it as a rebranding. Um, is, is supposed to help with the recently enacted uh, SB 100, which is um, California legislation um, that would 
is going to further exacerbate the uh, the duck curve problem. Um, so it is it is a rebranding of that, and they don't. I mean, it's it's not completely clear how they're going to make it work. One of the one of the best options in here, I think, is actually this this um, tie-in with the Internet of Things, mm-hmm. where Wi-Fi enabled thermostats, smart plugs, and and even electric vehicles can be used to shift load because that's what they want to do. They want they want um, we need we need to be consuming more power during the day. You run your air conditioner in the middle of the day. We talked about this before. Even if you can do it in some kind of automatic way, if you have a smart air conditioner, you could turn on at noon and then shut off at five. Even when you get home at five o'clock, your house is cool. And since the sun's not beating on the roof anymore, it's not going to be. As so that's more of a shift outside. you're talking that's about. That's a that. shift, and that, that's, that's what they want to do. They need to be able to shift this power. Uh, electric vehicles are a perfect example. If you had a smart charger that knew there's excess power on the grid, you charge at those times as opposed to, but of course the vehicle needs to be plugged in somewhere. So whether it's at, at an office uh, charging park or the mall or wherever, wherever it is available. Uh, but those types of things um, seem to be the, like the best, the best path forward. I really don't think demand response as like a behavior modification <laughs> kind well, of works. There I mean, was, you, um, can't, you can't convince people, well, it's just me and I'm going to turn on my air conditioner because it's hot. There were, there was, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a sentence here where it says DR is actually composed of four categories, shed, yep. shape, shift, and shimmy. And, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting. What they're talking about is different strategies to achieve the same results, right? Basically, how to, how to uh, uh, interact and, and support uh, the, the, the kind of fixing of that duck curve problem, right? So when, I guess when they say right. shed, it's, hey, don't use energy. When they say uh, sh- shift, <clears throat> it's actually use energy at a time, like you said, to take advantage of renewable energies. And then, you know, not so much when you're using other types of sources. Uh, and then what do they mean by shimmy? Have you any sense of that? Because I couldn't figure that out. What, is that like... Some yeah, kind of... no, 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 it doesn't make much sense to me either. I think, I think, like I said, those those are kind of the um, the, the 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 smart device things where a shimmy is just moving back and forth. And it's it's if you um, have a device that's smart enough to know when there's excess energy. So at a given moment, it. that's probably what it means, right? Like at a given yeah. moment, you yeah, have these kind of spikes or these, these things happening. Just, you can change your behavior based on that automatically with right. these smart devices. Because, because, solar, because solar generation <clears throat> is still affected by things like clouds. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then shape. I wonder if shape is actual, uh, you know, dis- like disbursement of energy to shape, shape the curve. Shape, shape is talking about the duck curve. They want to be able to reshape that curve into something that looks more like that bottom graph mm-hmm. where they you see take and shed um, in in the the normal places where you would have a really um, bad uh, overproduction or underproduction. Okay. Okay. Well, there, I tell you what, if I read this article without knowing which website it came from, I would say this has to be Utility Dive because they're the only guys that get this geeky on utility-related stuff. And so that's the Flexawatt. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Keep your eye open for Flexawatt in the future. Okay. Well, the, yeah, the issue is demand response has such a negative connotation now because basically it means that they're going to shut you off if you want to use power at a certain time. Yeah. There you go. I tell you, you can't use your air conditioner. Why? Why? Why can't I? And that's happening in California right now. Right. Yeah. But it's something we're all going to have to deal with because as more renewables get on on the grid, I mean, we're we're going to need to figure this out. Yeah. Hey, we got <laughs> whether new... it's whether it's our be- whether it's our behavior or our device's behavior. Right. Uh, it, it needs to be managed. Hey, uh, coming a little closer to home, we got something happening with Canadian Solar, who's been on the show. I'd say maybe about six nine months ago. Uh, I think David Riesenberg mm. had been on the show with us. And Canadian Solar is doing something with land leasing here in Hawaii. I don't know if it's actually in Maui, but uh, something like 147 yeah, acres is, near Barbara's Point. Nah, this is Oahu. Oahu, yeah. Yeah, this is Oahu. <clears throat> um, but they're uh, attempting to lease native Hawaiian land uh, through um, DHHL. And they're offering, uh, was it 200000 per year? So Canadian-based um, uh, company. It's not Canadian Solar, actually. It's Interjex. Um, oh, is that oh Canadian Solar Company? Oh, it's not Canadian Solar. It's it's a, oh. a Canadian Solar <laughs> Company. It's, it's Inter- My mistake. Interjex. Oh, it's Interjex. Of course it is. There That's okay. Um, so it's it's 147 acres near Barber's Point. Um, it's actually close to the airport there. Um, they say that this whole area is not suitable for housing, even even though it seems relatively flat. So I'm not sure what 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 is not suitable. Um, but the the number seems extremely low to me. 
Oh, you mean the, the lease payment? Um, the lease payment. Yeah, I don't two, know how to value that. 200000 per year for 147 <laughs> acres on Oahu? Well, I, I really have no frame of reference. But that's uh, – yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting to see that they're – so this is the thing, right? When these when, when these RFPs come out, the, the companies that are participating in the RFPs, one of their core challenges is land control. That's one of the, the mm-hmm. core things that they need to do to be able to participate because they need a lot of space to deploy all the solar to propose for these RFPs. So they're looking to do that. So this came out kind of during this process. It's Eddie Park. He's also been on the show, yeah, mm-hmm. right, from uh, yep. Interjex. And that makes perfect sense to me that they'd be uh, looking to do that. Not only that, but we've at the recent 100% Renewable Energy Forum at the Cameron Center, we had a represent, representative uh, from uh, the uh, King Kamehameha. Uh, what's it called mm-hmm. again? The exact name of it? The, uh, I don't know if it was the Native Hawaiian homelands, but it was basically uh, talking about usage of land and stewarding land in the right direction and then what that means in terms of these projects. So this is an active conversation about uh, Hawaiian lands and about how to, uh, you, you know, kind of take uh, to utilize them in the most responsible uh, way uh, possible, right? So it's interesting to see that that these are these this land control efforts are getting into the news during the RFP process. I mean, I, I've never quite seen that before. For. So uh, very, very interesting. Okay, so where are we at here, Jay? Uh, I think we're going to... We're just about ready to wrap up, and we're going to go over. We're going to talk with um, uh, Bruce Levy from BMR Energy. Now, um, I okay, will say so that yeah. Real, real, real quick, I want to I want to mention that um, folks from Miko have already been in touch with us. They're asking everybody to conserve uh, between five and nine p.m. T- night because uh, transmission lines running from Ma'alaya were damaged. They're running on redundant circuits, so we're, we're okay. Um, but do uh, try to yep. conserve at least a little bit between 5 and 9 tonight, if you would. And everybody be safe out there. Okay, we're going to come right back after our commercial break with Bruce Levy from uh, CBRNG. LG is a leader in the home electronics industry and manufactures some of the most popular PV panels as well as many other appliances we've come to know and appreciate over the years. The same LG brand offers the LG Chem Rezu battery line for your home energy storage needs. Here in Hawaii, their primary model is the LG 10H Rezu with 9.3 kilowatt hours of usable capacity. The LG 10H Rezu can be used both to maximize consumption of solar energy at home and also functions as a source of backup power in the event that the grid goes down. LG Chem has increased production of their battery line for Hawaii's renewable energy solar market. Contact your local solar provider to learn more about the LG Chem 10H Rezu battery. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system combined photovoltaic and thermal holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. Pantech Design is ushering the world into a new age of home energy automation through the convergence of smart home technologies and renewable energy management. Unifying solar energy production, intelligent energy storage, and smart breaker technologies with smart home devices, Pantech Design's complete home energy automation suite incorporates unprecedented control of lighting, shades, climate, security, hot water, electric vehicle charging, and many other systems. Contact Pantech today at PantechDesign.com. All right, those were our wonderful sponsors. Thanks so much for keeping the solar coaster on the tracks. Love you guys. Thank you. 111, 12? Oh, many more now. (laughs) Probably like 120-ish. Very good. We're here with a really exciting um, interview opportunity to speak with Mr. Bruce Levy uh, from BMR Energy. And, uh, you know, Bruce, uh, are you there? Can you hear us okay? I can, yes. Excellent. Welcome to the Solar Coaster. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to speak with us. My pleasure. So, Bruce, um, now you're, as I understand it, you are uh, you have an organization, a company, BMR Energy, out there in the in the Caribbean. Uh, I understand you're calling in from New York right now. Uh, but you know, the, when I was looking over some of your your work and some of the articles about your your company, I, I noticed some similarities to what we're dealing with. Uh, similarities in a lot of a lot of ways. You know, the the, the general reliance on fossil fuels, the concerns about extreme weather, the uh, very high electricity rates, all these things sound just like home. In fact, almost to the penny, 
I was looking at the rates out there. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we, I feel like we're living parallel lives a little bit here, of course. And, then if, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, are, is, Mr., is the Virgin Group, uh, uh, have they acquired your company? Is that correct? That's correct. That's so, right after we built our first plant, uh, our uh, private equity backers wanted to, as they saw, uh, monetize their investment, as the term goes. And um, uh, Richard Branson was interested in, um, trying to encourage more renewables in the Caribbean, so he thought it was a good investment. And, uh, oh, pleasure to be a part of that group. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, that's, so that's the hook. He's in the Caribbean, and we're we're doing similar island life <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind very, of conversation. Very cool stuff. So why don't, why don't we start right at the beginning? So, uh, Bruce, why don't you give us a sense of who you are, what your background is, uh, you know, how do you find yourself in this really unique position? Well, I've been in the uh, electric power industry since I got out of college a real long time ago. I'm an engineer, and I went to work for a, uh, an engineering company to build power plants. And so that's how I got my start. Uh, then when deregulation started in the United States, I, I went to work for a, a utility in New Jersey, uh, you know, working in their, uh, what they used to call a non-regulated subsidiary that was just being started to develop uh, co-generation projects and and uh, you know the latest technology at the time, and uh, worked there, and ultimately uh, spent 18 years at that utility. Uh, first, really doing uh, cogeneration projects in the U.S., and then ultimately moving into international power plant projects. We had power plants all over South America, Australia, uh, Asia, and we had a utility in England and a, and uh, Argentina and. And Australia, so we were a pretty pretty large company. I ended up as CFO of the company, and as uh, happened a lot in the utility industry uh, in the early 2000s, we were we were merged with another utility, and I, I left at that time. And uh, <clears throat> so during during those years, most of what I did was uh, natural gas fired uh, facilities. I then uh, joined another IPP, uh, a British company called International Power, and I ran their North American business. We had gas-fired power plants and a coal-fired power plant in the United States. But towards the, the you know, late 2006, 7, 8, um, you know, wind and solar began to take hold. And so we, we built a, uh, a portfolio of about 550 megawatts of wind in Canada, in Ontario, Canada. And we started doing similar things in the U.S. Uh, didn't get as far. And uh, it <laughs> happened again. It was, it was many years later, but... Uh, uh, international Power was taken over by another company, and so I, I left then. That was in uh, early 2012. And uh, so developing and owning power plants was kind of in my blood. And so I turned around and said, okay, what am I going to do next? And, and I said, well, where do they need renewable energy? And electric rates are really high, and there's not much competition. And the Caribbean uh, jumped out at me because uh, Caribbean electric rates were, you know, 30 to 40, in some cases 50 cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, they all burned uh, almost exclusively um, heavy fuel oil or diesel when they mm -hmm. when they had to, and um, they had almost no no renewable energy. So I I uh, looked around, got together with some uh, colleagues that I knew from the industry, and the first thing we came across was a. RFP issued by the, the island of Jamaica looking for renewable energy. So we took our, took our bags, went down to Jamaica, and found a site uh, and put in a bid for a wind plant, 36-megawatt wind plant. Uh, we, we won that bid, and uh, the plant's been running now three years. It's uh, a great success. It's um, you know, state-of-the-art turbines. They, uh, uh, we had a lot of trouble getting them to the site because the roads in Jamaica aren't really straight, but... We managed between the roads and barge uh, to get uh, 11 turbines uh, up on a, up on a mountain ridge, and uh, we now make about three or four percent of the electricity used in Jamaica. Wow! And so that, those, uh, those are those are um, you said about 36 megawatts, 11 turbines. Mm -hmm. so those are like three megawatt plus. Size. Three point uh, three point three. Three point three. So yeah. those are larger than the ones we have here in in Maui. Yeah, I think even the new Mike, the new wind uh, by, farm by a significant amount. Yeah, I think they're about a megawatt up in West uh, Maui, yeah, and about right. two if I'm not mistaken right. over in the other section. Right. So okay. So and then and then what what uh so you, so you you developed this that was one of your first RFPs to successfully put put into service in the Caribbean that that wind farm. Yep. Yep. It was, and we did it in what <clears throat> having been in the power development business a long time. 
kind of record time. We uh, we were awarded the bid in uh, October of 2013, and the plant began operating uh, in July 2016. So a little more than three years to get all the permitting and siting done, get all the financing done, and get the building done. So it was uh, it went uh, very smoothly as. Uh, as uh, most people would tell you, for the Caribbean. You know, was that was that bid issued by uh, like a central utility in Jamaica, and was it was it were the different IPPs coming out to do, to provide that opportunity? Well, it uh, the way it is set up in Jamaica is they actually have a regulator who was running the RFP, and it was done so that if the utility wanted to bid, they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the utility didn't bid. They had lots of bids, a lot of from U.S. companies. But, um, you know, and a lot of it was for solar. I think they had 25 bids and 23 were from solar plants. And a lot of the, 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 the call it the U.S. companies that kind of just went and put a bid in, didn't really spend a lot of time in Jamaica. We spent, um, it was about nine months between when the RFP, or when we first showed up and the RFP was due. And so we spent a lot of time learning the, 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 the they call it the politics, but the relationships and the, yeah. the different parishes and how they felt uh, disenfranchised or enfranchised and the, the different um, agencies within the government that you had to work with to get, uh, whether it was land or environmental approvals. And so I think we just were, were better prepared and were much more aggressive, and we were actually the lowest bid in the um, in the pack. Uh, you know, it sounds high now. We are PPA... Uh, is for 12.9 cents, which was mm-hmm. the uh, the lowest. Uh, the, the highest was uh, that they awarded was 18 cents for a solar plant. If they we ran those bids again today, the the prices would be much lower because the equipment has has come down in price and improved in performance. <clears throat> so it was a real uh, you know real boon for Jamaica because they had they had run RFPs before and really not gotten much interest, um, and so they uh, they really wanted renewables and um, it really did a couple things for Jamaica. It, it got them about, well, between all 3% and the other two projects, it was about 8% renewables. But it also brought in international financing. Uh, we used OPEC and IFC to, to help fund the project, and it got a lot of attention of, and, and really the reputation Jamaica got was of a, uh, a regional leader in renewables. And hmm. so the a couple of years between the award and, and even after that, uh, every conference in the region had a Jamaica section, uh, session, so people could hear about what Jamaica did and how they went about it and how they decided what to do. And it's really a good example. It was a, um, it was a case of real concentrated and focused political will to, mm-hmm. uh, to support the project, no matter which agency you went to. You know, if you had any, any sort of pushback, you'd call up the energy minister's office and you know, he'd call them and say, hey, look, we, we've got a commitment to do this, and everybody's got to, you know, do your job, but do it in a way that helps us get these done. And I think it was, um, it was really a good example. So, Bruce, what, you know, when you when you talk about 2000, was it 12 that that RFP came out? 13, yeah, it came, it came out in 12. The bids were due in early 13, and it was awarded in, you know, the fourth quarter of 13. Right. So and so at that stage of the game, am I hearing that um, in the Caribbean – uh, that was that. This is the beginning of some of the you know larger renewable energy projects being put in. You said that Jamaica was kind of seen as a leader. Uh, right. Whether was this the one of the first, or or or, or was the, you know what was the state of the Caribbean in general in terms of renewable energy projects at that stage of the game? Uh, it was. It, this was among the first. There were a couple of projects awarded in the Dominican Republic, not yet built. There were a couple of smaller little solar plants that had been um, built in Puerto Rico. It's pretty recent. And some of the other mm-hmm. islands had a few <clears throat> had a few smaller solar plants, but really not a. It was not a. Uh, you know, right now what you find is half the islands have commitments to go to thirty percent renewables, others to fifty. Mm-hmm. Back then, there really wasn't much of a uh, a thought that that was an option. So it really, really was a, a turning point for the whole Caribbean. Yeah, even even Governor Ye's mandate was 2015, so mm-hmm. it's a couple of years predating that. Um, how about popular support? I mean, just folks on the ground, did you get a lot of pushback, or were they happy to see it? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's uh, generally supportive. Uh, you know, most Caribbean islands have large amounts of population that that are very poor, mm-hmm. and that may be a little different than Hawaii, but it's uh, you know, there's 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 you know, beautiful tourist spots, beautiful beaches, very nice restaurants, a great place. But many of the local people are, 
are very poor. Jamaica had suffered a bit more than average because they had a large bauxite industry mm-hmm. that essentially shut down because of high energy prices. Remember when oil was up at you know $120 a barrel, it really drove the economics of bauxite uh, way down. And, and so there was a lot of unemployment, more than normal. And so from Jamaica, you know, having international players come and invest money in their country was a really positive sign. And they really uh, felt good about it. So we, we had a lot of support hmm. to, to, to a level of when we delivered the turbine blades. And they're pretty big. They're 185 feet apiece. And uh, we needed 33 of them. It took a long time. It took about a month to bring them in because we had to ship them to Kingston, which is the capital, and put them on a barge and take them out uh, to the other side of the island and then bring it up by, by truck from the barge port. And the trip took all night. It started about 10 p.m. and the, the blade got to the site about you know 6 a.m. and the citizens lined the delivery route and walked along with the blade. It was a, it was a uh, <laughs> no, nothing we expected, but it was clearly very supportive. So welcoming. Hmm. Wow, yeah, kind of that's, 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 that's amazing. Because it's the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. So let's um, since that point to now. Are we seeing the Caribbean's? I guess you know different. There's some obviously some differences between Hawaii and the Caribbean, but there's certainly a lot of different islands. There's a whole bunch of different uh, uh, you know environments. And uh, so from that point to now, have you seen kind of a, a, a acceleration of renewable energy deployments? I mean, are we seeing this? You said that there are mandates nowadays upwards of 30 or 50 percent renewables across the Caribbean. I mean, what's the what's what does it look like these days from that from those beginnings? Just because I, I, I have no idea. Well, this is the sad story of the Caribbean. Uh, you know, this was 2016 when the project started going online, and it was a lot of support. And as I mentioned, we've gotten commitments now. Really, they made them themselves. And, and it came out of reality that, gee, if we can get off oil and use less oil, we keep more of the currency for ourselves, and we could do more things with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, But you know what happened in September of 2017. We had two Category 5 hurricanes rush through the Caribbean, hitting most of the northern islands, starting from Antigua, going all the way to Puerto Rico and even beyond. And um, that really changed the whole dialogue in the Caribbean. Um, and it was positive for renewables, but it really took, well, some islands still really haven't fully recovered, but it took a whole year for the uh, for the you know, power to get back on in some places and and to, you know, and, and even in St. Thomas, where the power is back on in a few weeks, there's still buildings that are, you know, just kind of held up by temporary supports, hoping to get them rebuilt or, or re, re, refixed. So there was a lot of attention turned in 2018, not just to renewables, but to resiliency. Mm-hmm. And resiliency so beyond just the power side, but, you know, hospitals were destroyed, schools were destroyed, the communication systems were destroyed. And so really i'd say the 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 foot came off the pedal on renewables a bit while they dealt with some real serious right um, right infrastructure well the two go hand in hand don't they i mean because we're we're looking at um there could do you think there's going to be a resurgence of renewables uh, right now it has started it started uh you know now you know i'd say we lost 2018 uh, focused mostly on resilience um, but everybody knows that having renewable energy actually increases resilience because you could put it in a lot of different places. Uh, most Caribbean islands have one power plant. It's usually in the middle or right by the main town. And then wires run out the rest of the island. In some, like um, the British Virgin Islands, uh, there's one power plant and there's seven islands. And so there's under- underwater feeders from the main island to the um, to the outer islands. That's interesting. And of course, those feeders were damaged by the hurricane, as was the power plant. And so, even when they started restoring the power plants, several of the islands didn't get power for weeks. And so now, clearly, the thinking is we should have some power plants, and renewable is probably the best kind on all each island. Mm-hmm. And so that if there is a disconnect, like happened after the uh, the two hurricanes will at least have some local power on those islands. So that's, it's all part of the resilience thing. But, but since the rebuilding is pretty much, uh, you know, not, not done, but it's mostly, uh, you know, in process, uh, I'd say 2019 clearly has gotten a lot more attention on renewables. And you've seen IRP uh, adopted by utilities calling for, 
you know, like I said, 30 or 50 percent renewables by 2000. Well, that's exciting. 2050. That's exciting, so, and it, it almost feels like Bruce. That uh, are, are you? Go, do you think you're going to see what's been learned or some kind of new level of resiliency incorporated into those RFPs? I mean, are, 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 do you think those those new requests for solar or wind or whatever kind of renewable energy uh, systems that go out are they going to be looking more heavily at resiliency as part of that characteristics of the successful awards? To some extent. I mean, for example, we now see when RFPs come out, they specify what wind speed you're supposed to design your facility for. Oh, that's and it's sure. usually pretty high. Um, there's mm -hmm. one RFP we're working on now that wants everything to be able to withstand a Category 5 hurricane. That was not the case before. Wow. Well, most of them, you know, say, well, Category 2 or Category for 3. For a, sol a solar farm? A solar farm, same thing, yeah. But with, with yeah. this this one that you're working on presently, it's a wind a wind farm or solar farm? It's solar. 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 So how do you how do you go about creating a stability in a in a, in a how do you keep a solar farm intact during a hurricane? How do you, how do you keep a, a wind five? farm? <laughs> it, it, it would be fantastic to actually be able to harness that, but we know it's probably not really. Well, possible. no, you don't, you, don't, you don't want your blades turning in a hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, yeah. So when hurricanes come, we turn them off, we disconnect from the utility, and we. We feather the blades so the wind doesn't really pick them up. Mm -hmm. Most of the time that works, but in an absolute direct hit, uh, there will be some damage. It depends on the scale. You know, Bruce, we're, we're in a time right now here in Hawaii and um, where the conversation of resiliency is coming up more and more. We're having forums, uh, you know, over the course of the last six months. There have been some, you know, more extreme weather events over the last couple of years. Uh, generally, and when we're in Maui, right? Maui tends to be in the uh, the kind of shadow almost of Big Island, right. which, you know, right. uh, and it kind of yeah. tends to break up. Uh, we've been fortunate with that with hurricanes in the past, uh, typhoons. So, uh, you know, the, but we're also at a point where we're putting in some of our first really large utility scale solar farms, and so um, you know, 60 megawatts with storage, and, and that kind of level, and, and even larger. And so, I think it's reasonable to be thinking about what the Caribbean learned uh, in terms of solar farms and how to make them withstand uh, these, these, these types of hurricanes at higher and higher kind of levels of extreme, extremeness, right? Extremely. So um, I, what, what are some of the basic things we can look to? And what are, what are, the, what are, the, what are the vulnerabilities? What are the, um, the strengths? I mean, how do, how do we go about protecting our, our, the, the, all the new technologies going in? Well, I can tell you some real, we have, the one good thing that came out of the hurricanes is we have some real actual field experience on what worked and what didn't. Sure. And so the, the, uh, the, uh, the one plant that we own in St. Croix, we actually bought after it was damaged, and uh, we had to put it back together. But uh, if you look at St. Croix in general, or St. Uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands, there were four solar uh, fields um, ranging in size. The biggest one was uh, five megawatts. The smallest one was like, you know, a megawatt. Uh, and they were all damaged to some extent, but the one we took over was uh, was damaged in a, um, the panels themselves were not damaged. We had 16,000 panels and maybe 150 were blown away. Um, the rest were intact, in place, and undamaged. Um, what we did find is some of the racking was bent, uh, but it held up pretty well. It certainly met its design requirements, and, and this was a Category 5 hurricane hit it, so we We've confirmed that. And a Category 5 um, is what? Is that 180 mile per hour well, wind? 165 is when it uh, is the uh, is the top, is, uh, 165. Is the threshold. Yeah. They could go up to 200. Is still a Category 5. It's a Capital 5, I guess. Um, but what we found on this plant is that while the panels held okay, um, the um, the electrical equipment got flooded. And why did it get flooded? Not because it was you know exposed. It was in a building. It was in a sealed building. But there was a roof vent on the building, and the roof vent got blown away, mm. torn right off the top of the roof. And the building essentially filled with water, maybe not filled, but all the electrical equipment got uh, destroyed beyond, I wouldn't say beyond repair, but it ended up being cheaper to replace it than repair it. Right. Uh, and so we put all the electrical stuff back together with new stuff, and the new stuff is water resistant, so even if it gets wet again, it will not... Um, have the same problem. It's, you know, sealed cabinets, waterproof cabinets, really outdoor rated. Um, and um, we, <laughs> the roof fan has been replaced in a, with a much more secure um, installation. And uh, we, you know, obviously have um, 
uh, you know, taken other steps. One of the surprises that we found, you know, you think about things blowing away in the wind, you think about things getting wet, and we, we had all that. But another thing we had is um, the static charge that came off the storm was so strong, it blew a lot of the electrical equipment. It just overloaded it, and uh, the fusing was not strong enough to protect it. it went, uh, <laughs> and so there was a lot of electrical damage from that. So um, I think the, the lesson to be learned on that particular one was, you know, you you think about hurricanes and you design to some spec, whether it's 150 or 165, but everything has to be designed to that spec. It's as simple as roof fans, uh, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, Surge suppressants have to be designed for what you experience in a storm. And when a hurricane goes over with that sort of winds, you have a lot of static electricity in that air that looks for a place to go. And it, it turns out going through the electrical system of the panels was the way it decided to go. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> we found a lot of things we never heard of before. Mm. In the, the other two, the other three uh, renewable energy plants in Jamaica, excuse me, in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, which again, we had this one at the airport in St. Thomas. If you land in that airport, it still looks like it's it's there. Uh, if you walk by it, you can walk right by it as you're leaving the airport. You can see it's not right. But that one also, all the um, combiner boxes were completely flooded, and uh, the system just never started again after that. That's still not working. There was one put in by the courthouse as part of a uh, energy efficiency program that looked like someone picked it up, crumpled it up, and dropped it down. It was just um, unbelievable this destruction. This, this was in the in the Virgin Islands and BVI. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How big no, was that? No, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Oh, U.S. Virgin yeah. Islands. How big was that system that you, you? That said was about? about that was the megawatt size, and then there was the the bigger one, the five megawatt in St. Thomas, that was completely uh, well half the panels blew off, <laughs> half didn't. The racking was pulled out of the ground. I mean, it looked like a looked like a meteor. Hit. So, what was meet. what was the difference between the ones that we were relatively survived relatively unscathed and the ones that were just destroyed, as you're describing? Uh, different different type of racking installation. Uh huh. Uh, I'd say a better quality control on the racking installation. Sure. And so you you had didn't have a single rack in Saint Croix pull out of the ground. In Saint Thomas, you had probably a third of the racks just pulled right out of the ground. Wow. So they probably weren't installed right, they weren't tested right, the QC wasn't right. I mean, and this really gets the message is most people think solar plants are pretty simple. They're simply, you know, a bunch of erectors set in steel racks or aluminum racks with panels bolted on them. In St. Thomas, most of the racks that, uh, most of the panels that blew away, the bolts holding the racks pulled right through the aluminum panels. And so you found the panels. You saw where the bolt was. You saw a big hole just torn right through. The racking clips in St. Croix, where they didn't blow away, were a, a surface rack, a surface bolt that did not go through the panels, did not depend on the integrity of the panels, a metal to hold it, but went right into the racking. Hmm. So we, we have a whole list of things we learned of what works and what doesn't work. And the trick is, uh, in a world where everything is selected by competitive bid, how do you make sure that the person who wins the bid didn't win it because they used the cheapest way to install right. it? Yeah, it's going to blow the away piece. the first storm that comes. So, Bruce, let me, let me, you know, this is really fascinating uh, from, from my perspective because, I, I mean, you've got a couple of different stages here of decisions that are being made. you got your geotech, right? What, what are you doing with uh, soil? And then what, what are you in the right place? You also have, I, I suspect, a positioning discussion, right? Are, is this the best place to put this, the, the farm itself, right? Sure. Uh, then, then I suppose you have uh, issues like you had said about the racking itself, the robustness of the racking, and then the, 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 the types the attachment of points, yeah. the types of mechanisms that are connecting those panels to those racks, right? Whether mm -hmm. you said a, a through bolt versus a versus a clip. Which which of those was successful? I couldn't quite understand. Was it the, was it the clip or was it the through bolt? The, uh, the clip. The, the clip clips. was more successful. It, it, yeah, the through bolt, you know, the racks, the panels all come with a little hole in the back. You could screw in a thing and hold it in, except that it's an aluminum metal. And in aluminum metal, especially sheet metal, does not hold up well. That's the frame of the panel itself. Yeah, it's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not really good It does not hold up well. So if you take a a piece of heavier metal, in this case it was aluminum, and you put it over the panel, and you bolt that directly to the rack, it tends to hold better. 
So, you know, again, we have a whole list, um, you know, and it's been looked at by others. Um, I think Rocky Mountain Institute issued a paper on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but until you see it, you really yeah. don't appreciate it. The other thing on on siting, uh, you mentioned, is the site, the right site. So the five megawatt in St. Thomas that got really blown apart was on a steep hill. And, okay. um, and what we found is that the wind coming up that steep hill accelerated, and so it might have even gotten above the 165-mile-an-hour wind. And that probably contributed to the, um, the, the heavier damage there. So mm-hmm. hills are good. Steep hills are not as good. And if you have a steep hill, your racking should be reflective of that and should be designed to maybe take even a stronger wind. Were there any low-lying farms that were affected by the surge of the ocean itself? Did you see anything um, like that? <clears throat> not, 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 I haven't seen too many. Um, you, know, they, the, you know, that's there is something to be learned about that. The, you know, the, very often on islands, the flattest land is around the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to an island like the British Virgin Islands, it's all hilly. They, it's, you can't even find a golf course on, on Tortola, which is the main island, because it's too hilly. And so if you want to put a solar plant, you try to find some flat land, which is right by the water, which would be completely flooded in this storm. Mm-hmm. Because when these storms go over, the, the, the ocean level rises sometimes five or six feet and stays there occasionally for hours. So, you know, there's some, something to be said about not uh, not building solar farms. Yeah, to the, submerge uh, an electrical shore. power plant yeah. for hours in salt water is not a good idea. So, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce, we're, we're we're running through to the end of the of the session here, and uh, you know, we like I said, here in 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 Hawaii and Maui specifically, you know, where we live, we're in this stage of putting in a lot of renewable energies. And so, do you have any messages? to our leaders, to our policymakers, or to, you know, the citizens of, the, of, of, of Maui in general about steps we should take or areas we should look at. Should we be looking at Rocky Mountain Institute's report? That sounds like it may be the source, right? <laughs> Must read. Well, it's, 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 a, it's a primer. <laughs> I, right? don't think it's, I don't think it's all-encompassing. I think there's, there's enough information in the, in, the, uh, in the market, whether it's through Rocky Mountain or some of the other reports that have been prepared, or just coming to visit plants like ours. I think uh, there probably should be some sort of uniform set of rules for siting renewable energy plants, whether it's wind or solar, uh, because, you know, if something hits, well, first of all, it's to make them so they're as robust as they can, um, and, you know, not just say it has to be designed for 165 mile per hour wind, but actually say what that means, because um, it, it doesn't always mean the same thing. Um, it's uh, thoroughness of geotech uh, testing. You know, the, usually these, ac- these, these plants are over, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30-acre site. You've got to test the whole site because very often the soil is different over a site. Um, be careful of steep hills and that type of design criteria. But then it's also the maintenance, you know, go around and you're talking your bolts every year after a storm because do they vibrate loose? And so between industry rules that could be established by the industry and building code rules that could be established by the government, I think it's probably a good idea, to, especially if you're going to have competitive bidding, as I said. Yeah. You know, people people could bid low, but to give you something that's not worth as much and you want to make sure you're getting <laughs> nice, uh, quality, Bruce. quality installations. Very good. I think we'll probably have to cap it off there. But this has been a really uh, illuminating Certainly, show yeah, to, un- to understand more about uh, how to take uh, kind of steps and learn from the past, learn from what's happened in the Caribbean. So this has been uh, Mr. Bruce Levy of BMR Energy. Thank you so much for your insights, and we look forward to having you on again uh, sometime in the future. Great. Well, I appreciate the chance to talk to you, and good luck. All righty. Hey, Thanks. folks, this has been The Solar Coaster. We're sponsored by LG Chem, Pantech Design, and SunDrum Solar. Have a great weekend. Catch some rays. Yep. Still there, Bruce? Hello, hello. Nope, he's got... Close your throat.